0: Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Habakkuk. I want to see who finds it. I'm going to watch. No. <laughs> it's in the Old Testament towards the end. As you're turning there, you have a few minutes to get there. Um, but I want to share uh, just a few things with you. One, tonight um, we have a worship night with Real Life Chapel. It's called Convergence. Two churches coming together, two worship teams, one Jesus, one God, coming together to worship Him. And <laughs> Austin's having a moment there. Uh, and so here's my thing for you: if this has probably been one of the busiest—I'm not—I'm not, I'm not over-exaggerating—one of the busiest seven days of my life. One of the busiest. And this worship night comes at perfect timing to come get unbusy and to sit at the feet of the Lord and to worship him. Just it's just that simple. I mean, it's sort of like one of those things. Like I I could compare schedules this week. Nothing's better. Oh my Lord. (laughs) Hi, Diane. I'm not going to be able to preach now. I'm sorry I'm rattling. Oh. Good morning. (laughs) Wow. We're going to, yes, I'm just trying to reset myself here. I've learned in my older years that instead of just trying to go on to the next thing and being in a big rush and making it happen, sometimes just stopping and listening is just a good thing. Diane's husband, Dale, is one of our elders here and is in a hospital. He's been in a hospital for quite a while now, and we're praying that he wakes up. So we're just going to bow in prayer. Whew. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for Diane's presence here this morning. Lord, we pray that she feels your love for her and from us. God, we thank you. I thank you for the the pillar of strength that she has been, the example of faith that I see in Hebrews, of the strong lady who I respect deeply and love. God, continue to sustain her, we ask. Lord, we pray even now Lord, that you would do a miracle in Dale's life. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So there's something else I need to share with you. And uh, as we go tonight to worship, it's also a time of prayer. And uh, some of you are aware, uh, a young man that used to go here, he used to be in our youth group, his name's Marty Eason, took his life last week. He has a wife and three children, and uh, we've been meeting, my wife has been doing amazing work there, uh, but the funeral will be, the, the viewing is tomorrow night at the funeral home downtown, and the funeral will be here on Tuesday. I want to tell you that we need God to do a work there as well. And I would ask that tonight, as you think about it, that you would be praying for that family, and and praying even for Laura and I, and others who are interacting with that. And, and Rob, I know, is is dealing with some stuff there too. But it is, it is utterly overwhelming, and there's so many pieces to it. So it's perfect timing to get into Habakkuk. Perfect timing. For us as a church so I don't know some people say Habakkuk is pronounced like that you might call it Habakkuk I don't care what you call it as long as you start reading it Uh, but it's questioning God in a broken world questioning God in a broken world so a lot of times people just have a hard time understanding how contextually things in the Old Testament lead up And, and, and I'm gonna give you a general overview uh, just from beginning a time with general year references, and I want to start with the creation period, and and roughly we think that that was four thousand or so BC. We're not going. We're not one of those people that are going to put our flag down on that and defend it. But roughly, you know, so just for the sake of understanding something, we're just going to roughly go there. So we had the creation. God breathed everything into existence, and in doing so, He brought. This planet into place, and he brought uh, two people, Adam and Eve, together, and he put them in a garden that was glorious, and he, and he gave them everything that they wanted, and yet said that they could not take of the fruit. And so, doing they, so, they experienced the fallenness of the world. And as that, that fell, and then sin sort of took over, and we know that the issue with Cain and Abel and killing his brother happened. And then things progressed and people started living what, as what was right in their own eyes. And we get to the flood where God destroyed by the flood everyone but in the ark. And then it was a reset again. And what happens, everything, you know, maybe four seasons okay, but then people come back to themselves and they think that they can do it on their own. And we get to the Tower of Babel. People try to build their way and understanding God completely and then that they were the, the division of, of tongues happened at that place. Then you have Abraham comes on the scene, and, and then he has sons, and we know that was a great faith promise. And Abraham uh, let and it's where the Jewish people sort of were born out. He was the first Hebrew. He had a son named Isaac that he ended up, God told him to take him up to the mountain and 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 sacrifice him. And But we know that God provided the ram, and, and we also uh, historically believe that that is the same area where Jesus was crucified, that that took place. And so God did that work. Then you have Jacob, who was the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. And, and we know, I think, how that worked. His youngest son, he showed too much preference to in front of everybody. It's not a healthy thing. And his son, uh, the brothers got jealous. They took him and they almost killed him, but they sold him to slavery. He went out, and he uh, ended up, you know, Potiphar's wife. He was in jail. He was looking for all these things. Eventually, he became second in command under Pharaoh. There was a great famine, and uh, God used Joseph to provide for the Israelite people by feeding them, and he also reconciled with his brothers. And then we have the season where Moses come into the place and uh, we see the part where the exodus, so Moses comes in, he was a, uh, he was actually, uh, all the children were going to be killed, but little Moses was put in adoption, Pharaoh's his daughter picks him up, raises him up in her own family, it's a beautiful story of adoption, Moses was taught well, was educated well, he was actually a very good spokesman, but then he got angry and he killed a soldier. Then he fled out, as many of us do, and he went away, and and then uh, God came to him at the burning bush, and he just sort of said, this is a holy place, and and he sort of reset Moses' life. So Moses was called into Egypt, and he was called to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. He goes there, says, let my people go. Pharaoh eventually says no, and then we have the 10 plagues. And the ten plagues happened, the last one being the firstborn son was taken except for the one where a lamb was shed and the blood was put on the doorpost and the death angel passed over the doorpost. Then you have Moses getting the law on Mount Sinai where he received the commandments of God and then he comes down and he sees people, He just like, I left a little while It's like leaving teenagers when you go on a vacation, you know, you leave them at the house for two days and you don't know what you're going to get. It was like that with Israelite people. Adults do the same thing. I know you do. Don't lie to me. You know, you just, you think God's not looking for a little bit. You do what you want to do and you build your fatted calf and you sort of live how you want to, right? And and that's what happened there. And um, Moses came down and brought the commandments on God's finger, wrote it. And then we have 40 years of going through the wilderness that people did. Remember, um, there's four, you know, they go in the wilderness for 40 years. I, as a kid, just go, that's stupid. I would never have done that. I think I've replicated Moses pretty well. You, know, you go into this season, you think you got it together, then you realize you don't have it together, and then you're broken some, and then you realize that God has it together, and you follow after him. Then you get into the place where Moses died, we have the death of Moses, and you remember, he, he could not go in, and, the, and there's, a, there's a subtle thing to understand there. You've got Moses and Joshua standing on the mountain, and, and the idea is that Moses brought law, Moses brought law, and law could not take you to the promised land. There's, a deep, there's deep significance there, so the Egyptians uh, had the people under bondage, God freed them from the law and were taken in the wilderness, but law could not take you into the promised land. Joshua came on board. Joshua, whose name in uh, Hebrew means Jesus in the Greek, Joshua took the people from the wilderness into the promised land. And so then you have times of conquering. They spent seven years conquering the land. They, they conquered the deities of the Canaanite people, the Baals, the Asherah, the Dagon, and they did all that, and, and then you get to the time of Judges. We're roughly around 1400 or so B.C. to 10, or 10, 1095 B.C. Then the Judges came in, and then you have a cycle of sin, bondage, deliverance, blessing, sin, bondage, deliverance, blessing, sin, bondage, deliverance, and blessing. Just please remember that for later. Sin, bondage, deliverance, and blessing. And then you get uh, Israel's history. They come into play, and the judges delivered, and we had some great judges there, some great stories. And then people, the oppressors come into the land, and and then the, the people just go, man, what are we gonna do? And then you get to the period of the king's, And so we had the people cry out that they wanted a king. God said, I am your king. I am the one who can do this. I will take care of this. But the people didn't want that. They wanted an earthly king. And so they got what they asked for in Saul. And Saul at first was a good king, but then he went around and he did as was right in his own eyes. And um, we saw that David was raised up. Saul tried much of his time to kill David, to chase after him. David had opportunity to kill King Saul, would not do it because he said, I do not want to touch the Lord's anointed. And he was faithful in not doing that. And then you get to the, the season of his son, and we know David and Bathsheba, right? Right. David sent out, he was lounging on the couch when he should have been at war. There's a whole lesson there. If you're chilling out as a Christian, you're sitting on the couch with the remote, you're probably going to get led to do something you shouldn't do. And, and I believe David knew exactly where he was gazing. He stares out at another man's wife, brings her in, um, has relations with her. She ends up having, uh, uh, becoming pregnant. He brings his hus- her husband in out of the war, Uriah, to come in out of war, End up having him killed because he was an upright man and then married her. That child uh, was taken, I mean passed. David grieved deeply. David had a son called Solomon. Solomon was the next king. Because David was a man of war, Solomon was gonna be the one to build the temple and Solomon helped build the temple and Solomon was a very wise person. But he wasn't that wise. He was the (laughs) wisest and not. He had of all these wives uh, you know, um, man can only live with about one wife as far as I'm concerned, all right? Now, that's not against you women out there. It's that you are stronger than us, and we can't contain more, and Solomon <laughs> thought he was better than that, and he had up close to a 1,000, and I don't know what that dude was thinking. He was crazy. So then by the time Solomon was in his old age, they were getting ready to split the kingdoms. Then you get to the kingdom of the, the time of the divided kingdom. They were having civil war, you had Judah, and you had Israel at war. And Isaiah came along the scenes. And many of you are familiar with Isaiah. It's a major prophet. And he comes on scene. He starts to tell about what's coming. There is a Messiah coming. There's someone that's going to make this right. I always, I always like the Lord of the Rings here. It's sort of like, you know, there is going to be something coming. In the darkest of times, there is going to be a release. So like Helm's Deep, right? Everything's getting ugly, and everything's getting ugly. And then Gandalf shows up, and it's bright on the third day of the morning of third day. And, but there was a divided kingdom. Isaiah speaks to it, and you have Jeremiah comes on, on the scene. Jeremiah was a prophet. He just preached hard. He spoke against what was going on. And in the midst of this, the people were taken, and, and Israel and Judah were being destroyed and taken off into bondage. So questioning, Habakkuk was questioning in this first 11 verses and even throughout through it, he he began to question God in a broken world. I've got a one-minute video I want you to watch. HITS stands for head in the Too many Christians put their head in the the sand where the doctor says, hey, your health's not very good. You need to make some changes. Instead of facing the truth, they just put their head in the sand. When the marriage is in trouble and their spouse says, hey, we need counseling," And they oh, go, right. it'll work out. You can't and hear they that. So just go ahead and pause it. So in essence, it's saying if your marriage is bad and you know it but you put your head in the sand, there's problems. If your relationship with your kids is bad, you just keep your head in the sand and hope it's gonna go away. If you put your head in the sand and you're questioning God and think it's gonna fix itself but you don't ask him, you just stick it in the sand and you you just hope it gets better. And I think in our context, I wanna bring Habakkuk, I'm gonna get into it in a minute, but Habakkuk has real message for us right where we are today. I think many Christians have their head in the sand. We hope it's going to go away or we have questions for God that, that we have. We don't understand him. And instead of asking him and, and doing wrestling with him, we put our head in the sand. Now, uh, my family and I watched a movie recently about Alex Honnold. uh, He's a climber, and there should be a picture up here. This man climbed El Capitan without a rope. That picture doesn't do justice. See, the babies are even tripping out about that. Alex, you should watch the movie, it's it's worth watching, but Alex's childhood wasn't that good, in my opinion, and his relationships with people aren't that good, and he's not exactly the healthiest person emotionally, but physically, and with passion, he took on and was the first person ever to climb this. He faced the mountain, and he climbed, and if you watch the movie and you see at the end the exhilaration, at least for a moment, of climbing something that can kill you, I mean, one slip up. Have anyone climbed in here? You got some climbers in this room? You know, if you climb a little climbing wall, like at the wire or something, you know, it's got a little rope to you, and you just go, ha, ah, you know, and you swing a little bit around. Here, if you go, don't. You know, and you miss a hold. It's over. Look at that. It's like oh. It's like Wally Coyote with the, you know, running off the cliff. But I give this man credit because he saw a problem, and he faced it. Now, I wouldn't recommend anyone do free climbing. Is not, my, is not my plates to you. But here's where I'm going to. Habakkuk went and saw a problem with God, and he climbed the mountain of God. So look in your Bibles. You've had plenty of time to find it now. We're gonna read the first 11 verses. I'm gonna stop here and there. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, let me just give you a few bit of notes. He is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. We do not know his history, his background. All we know is that he was a prophet of the Lord. O Lord, here's his complaint How long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. Any of y'all said that in this room? Wait a minute, I'm crying out right now. What's? I need help. And we feel like he's not speaking. But Habakkuk is going to the Lord with this. Or cry to you, violence, and you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. I've heard many Christians saying that about our timeline now. Why is it people get away with stuff? Why is it this? Why is it that? Why is it that? But in this case, there was real problems. Now, I'm going to press up against some of us now, and I know I never do that with you all. I'm just going to step in a little bit. They're getting carried away by captives. They're under bondage like we can't imagine. I have a proposition. I think, at least in our area that we are, for most of us, For most of us, not all. Because some of y'all are going through some real things. But I think we've had it too good. I think we've gotten too comfortable. I think it's become easy to put our head in the sand and go, every, the sky has fallen, chicken George it, right? And are just, just like, oh, it's all horrible, it's horrible, but if I put my head in the sand and I hope it goes all the way, it does. But I think we've got it mostly pretty good. Most people have jobs. Most people have a place to stay. Most people have a vehicle to get them around or a bicycle or, or, or feet to walk them to a place. Most people have food. Most people have things, and so we are so blessed with things that we have that we have fallen into what I say the area of sin where we start dwelling and looking inward and going, woe with me, and I just don't have what they have. You know, I, I, I don't have what they have. Their business is better than my business. Their life is better than my life. Their house is bigger than my house. Their dog is cuter than my dog. You know, you know what in the world? And we just loathe on this stuff, and I just say we generally, and we compare, and we look in, and we look in, and we look in, and, and, and we're not even captive. We're captive by ourselves. We're self-trapped. And so we, we live in this world where their rights and responsibilities aren't, aren't equally intentioned. We want our rights, but we don't grab on to the responsibility of waking up in the morning and getting before God's face and getting into the word and asking him for the means to get through today. And we just go it alone and do the White Snake 80 song, Here I Am Again on My Own, going down the only road I ever known. And we just put our head down and walk through and we go, Woe with me, everything's bad, but we've got it incredibly good. Many who have traveled overseas can tell you. Please hear me. I'm not saying everyone in America has got it greater, even in this room. I'm not saying everyone, but by and large. And and I've seen people who have nothing be far joyful than most people in in this country. My man, he's looking right at me. I know I've shared it before, but when I went to Nepal with Herb and Laura Gorin, I was called to preach, and I thought I knew what I was going to say, and after I watched these people who had nothing walk miles to church, 70, 80-year-old ladies getting it on, coming down, loaded up, and walking to church, it was hot. And as Pam alluded to, we go, ah, it's raining outside, I don't know about today. Or it's too sunny, I want to think of something else to do. Oh, worship night, (sighs) worship night, Uh, you know, I don't need that. I worshiped this morning. But we've got it so good that we begin to eat on that stuff and regurgitate it. And eat it again, and eat it again, and we self loathe. We've got it so good. Habakkuk looked and he saw injustice everywhere. Now we can see injustice. We wonder where's God during injustice? Where's God during suffering? Where is God here? And I got this picture from my father-in-law that I'm going to give uh, my daughter, Annalisa. It, it is a like a 70s cartoon, and it has a guy picking up trash, because I saw her doing it at a rowing event recently. And and the caption below, it says, we have found the problem, and the problem is us. And the idea there was that there was litter everywhere, and we're just messing up cre- the creation and I agree with that but I think in a theological perspective the problem is us so we go through these cycles of sin and sin leads to bondage and bondage leads to hopefully deliverance followed by blessing But as I talked about last week, if we don't show up to the war and arm up and be ready for God to have the victory, we're not gonna see the deliverance and blessing and we're gonna be trapped in our little pits for the rest of our life. Woe with me, my life is horrible, I've got it so bad. Looking inward instead of looking outward saying, God, what's going on? And see, Habakkuk saw his people in captivity. I see it in a different way with us. This was a real thing uh, really captive, and, I, and frankly, it is just as bad being spiritually captive as it is being physically captive, if not worse. So we get in these cycles. Habakkuk was frustrated, and he questions God. So here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you, one of the things I want you to get, it is okay to question God. God, I do not understand God, I do not know why you allow these things to happen. Whether it's a guy shooting up a mosque in New Zealand or uh, people blowing up churches in Sri Lanka, I don't understand that. I don't. Hurricanes, we sang about hurricanes, right? Earthquakes, stuff like that. Some of that I don't understand. But much like Alex Honnell, I want us as a church to not be afraid of the mountain but begin to climb the mountain, spiritually speaking, with ropes. Because God is a firm foothold and a firm handhold for us as long as we are resting in him, but he is also incredibly dangerous. You cannot have one without the other. That is the tension of Scripture. You cannot have God as love without God as holy. They, two come together. So look here in verse 5. This is God's response. Look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told, if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by, the, by, like, the, they, then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God." That's not the answer I want. Imagine if you lived in France in the 1930s, and you were a believer in God, right? You were worshiping in a church, and this actually happened. They were informed that Hitler did not take on um, um, Chamberlain's request and, and form a treaty, and war was declared. And, and the Germans came in and all this stuff that, that God had something to do with that. He controlled the enemy. I don't understand that all the way, that God is sovereign over all that. And yet, what, look what we get out of it. For a season, we get blessing and deliverance. You see the people, you've seen the people, there are people who didn't come home from the war, don't get me wrong, but you see the ticker tape parades, right, in New York City. You see all these things in France. They come through, they come through and it's a celebration. There was deliverance and there was peace on earth for a season. But the problem is, with the Israelite people and with us, we've had peace spiritually for probably too long and we've gotten like the fatted calf and we've gotten oh man, we start looking inward and we just wonder what more is there for us and we, and we don't cry out, we don't face the mountain and we just self-loathe and we end up just becoming miserable and die. I want to propose to you this morning that Habakkuk gives us a glimpse into what it's like for a godly man to question God. This is what we're going to go in through for the next couple weeks. This week, I would encourage you to read through the first chapter Just read it. Reread it. Write down questions that you have of God. Don't bring it for me to answer. You ask him. Say, hey, I don't get this. I don't get injustice. I don't get this. Start asking and making it a prayer list. God, I don't understand this. I don't understand that. I don't understand Dale. I don't understand, but I trust God with that. I don't understand Marty. I don't understand but I trust God with it. But I, I write it down. Take this opportunity to question God, to face the mountain and climb it so that you will find deliverance and blessing. This morning we're going to come to communion. As the worship team comes up here, I, I just want to encourage you that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is our hope. He is our peace. He is our joy. He is our blessing in the storms, in the earthquakes, in the difficulties. But you must climb the mountain with him. Ask hard questions. Maybe you have one this morning and you need to go out to communion and just go, Lord, I don't understand, and do business with God. Please stand with me. Lord Jesus, as we come to your table, we know that your your body and blood was shed for us that we might have relationship with the Father. Lord, we know that left alone, we would go on our own ways, that the problem is ourselves, that when we are left in the valley, we build fatted calves or golden calves and we begin to do things that are right in our own eyes. And Lord, we just wanna confess that and say Lord, we want your deliverance and blessing from those things. God, oh, to be blessed by you. It is an amazing thing. So, God, Jesus, we want to honor you this morning as we remember your death, burial, and resurrection. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.